Radhika Jones, editor-in-chief of Vanity Fair. If you enjoy binge-watching the best TV shows and love hearing from the actors and showrunners who make them happen, then subscribe to Vanity Fair. Our Hollywood reporters take you behind the scenes of the year's most anticipated projects, the industry's biggest moves, and the hardest-fought awards races. From The Crown to The Real Housewives, we've got the inside scoop. As a special thank you to our still-watching audience, we're offering 15% off a yearly digital subscription to Vanity Fair. Visit VanityFair.com today and use promo code POD15. That's VanityFair.com, promo code POD15, for 15% off a yearly digital subscription to everything you want. Bring yourself back online. No one knows what I'm thinking. Tell us what you think of your world. This is just a cheap trick. Some people choose to see the ugliness in this world. The disarray. I choose to see the beauty. Hello and welcome to Still Watching Westworld. I'm Vanity Fair senior writer Joanna Robinson. And I'm Vanity Fair chief critic Richard Lawson. If you have never listened to the podcast Still Watching, what Richard and I like to do is pick a TV show, get kind of obsessive about it, and then talk about an episode week to week. We just finished doing The Outsider for HBO. We are rolling on to another HBO series, Westworld. And I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, Richard, but I believe this is the first time we are coming back to a show that we have already covered on Still Watching. Is that right? Um, yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah. We've done a lot of one-off kind of things. And now, yeah, this is, I think, like, yeah, this is it. So, um, you know, we might make reference to some of the things that we talked about a lot, uh, when we were covering season two of Westworld and still watching. If you want to go back and listen to those, those are still in the feed. Um, but I think m- the most important takeaway from our coverage of season two of Westworld was our, Ever increasing infatuation with Ben Barnes. So, um, uh, who played Logan Delos. So if you hear us talk about Ben Barnes or Ben Bonds and how much we miss him, that would be the main takeaway. Otherwise, I think, I think you'll be fine. Um, Richard, do we spoil future episodes on still watching? No, we absolutely do not. We only talk about the episode that aired the day uh, you know the the, the the most recent past Sunday. I guess is that the best way to put it. <laughs> no, I mean yes. Uh, so we are here to talk about season three, episode one, uh, Parse Domine, which was uh, written by Jonah Nolan, directed by Jonah Nolan, uh, the creator of the show. So uh, that is what we are here to talk about. The season three premiere. Richard and I have seen some other episodes. We are not going to be talking about them. But if you want a little bit more of Richard's sort of like overarching feelings about the uh the season he does have a review up on vf.com it is not an incredibly favorable review so i'm going to consider it my mission uh to either talk richard into liking this season a little bit more uh than he did when he watched those four episodes by himself or uh at least make it fun uh for him to be here talking about this show (laughs) it it will be fun i'm not worried about that um i also you know as the review says i only saw the first four episodes so right plenty of shows these days get better at episode six or seven, you know? So like I'm, I'm by no means, um, uh, going to swear off the show, not just because I'm doing this podcast with you. Um, the thing that I am a little concerned about for HBO's sake and for the show's sake is that like it, it's, I'm, I'm curious to see how many people kind of stick with this season, given that like season two kind of seemed to lose people, uh, in droves. Um, and this one, is an attempt, I think, to win back kind of a more casual viewer because it's a little bit less complicated. Um, but I don't know. I'm wondering if it might be too late. That's a, that's a good question. Um, I have some responses to that. Um, first, let me say that if you want to email us and we love getting emails from you guys, uh, you can email us at still watching pod at gmail.com. Uh, so that's where we, you know, send all your theories, all of your, uh, ships, everything that you were enjoying while watching Westworld, any questions you might have, corrections for us. Uh, we would love to hear them. Um, in terms of, whether or not this season will be able to win back or hold the attention of viewers. I only have two bits of anecdotal evidence. One is uh, HBO let me know that the trailer for season three of Westworld, like the most recent trailer that they dropped 
was the most watched Westworld trailer ever, which is fascinating to me because I would have said like one of the season one trailers or one of the Super Bowl trailers that they had or something like that. But apparently the, the most recent one was the one. So, uh, that at least shows some is is maybe some metric of interest. And then, uh, you know, anecdotally, uh, the co-host of the other Westworld podcast I do, Decoding Westworld, Dave Chen, hated season two and really likes the season three premiere. So, uh, you know, maybe for people who really did not like season two, the season three premiere is here for you. Uh, so we're just going to talk about that. We're going to talk about our thoughts and feelings about this episode. Um, we're not going to go exactly in chronological order, but we're going to try to hit the main beats of the episode. I, I will say that, you know, just, just let's just start here. This feels like, and I kind of thought that, that that's what they were headed for at the end of season two, but this feels like a soft reboot of the entire series. Uh, did it land that way with you as well, Richard? Yeah. A soft reboot or like a sort of sequel set in the universe of, with some familiar characters, but kind of just trying to tell a whole new story, you know, uh-huh. like obviously like the Delos corporation is still in play and Dolores and Bernard and Maeve are still in play as well as Charlotte. But like, yeah, the, the the tone of it, the scope of it feels different. This is much more like, I don't know, like matrixy or something. It's more actiony. Um, it just, yeah, it just feels like this, like if this was a, a movie franchise, the studio brought in a whole new director and writing team and was just like, you know, same characters, different vibe, like, like a, you know, a different tweak on a Terminator franchise or whatever. Right. I felt more like, I mean, Terminator. Yeah, and, and especially since I think we use the phrase Terminator to refer to Dolores, uh, in season two, so that's not too far off Matrixy, sure, cause like, questioning the nature of your reality sort of stuff. Uh, I feel a lot of Blade Runner, particularly because a lot of this episode takes place in Los Angeles. So like, future, future LA, uh, who, who is a robot who isn't sort of Blade Runner stuff. If that's all stuff you like, if you like watching people dressed in like, monochromatic black a lot and stuff like that, um, you know, Westworld is here for you. That's what it's here. But it is very much like a hard sci-fi in a way that the first two seasons didn't feel um, that way. We are largely out of the park, though the coda of this episode takes place in the park. Um, but um, we're, we're in the future. We're in LA and there's a lot going on. <laughs> um, so let's start at the beginning. There's this cold open as it were with Dolores Um where, you know, she comes and she basically terrorizes a, a Delos investor, um, in order to uh, get money from him and then also some info on this new corporation that will play a role this season, uh, called Insight. So, um, you know, to me, this was the first indication. I mean, it's right off the bat, but it, it's a really early indication of some of the ways in which they want to sort of, uh, rejump the show in terms of like, I don't know about you, Richard, but I had an issue in season two with Dolores and the way that she was like, it was hard for me to root for her because she was just so single-minded and vengeance-filled and all this stuff like that. But this thing happens at the end of season two where the character Teddy, played by James Marsden, like kills himself and Dolores has a real sort of awakening. It really, it really changes her mind about what her mission should be. Um, it's not just like burn the world down. It's, um, I'm, I'm here for, for a different kind of justice, a justice that maybe like lifts people up. And that's, that's what this opening feels like to me because yes, she's killing a, a, a bad rich dude who sucks. Uh, and it's probably a murderer himself, but like, that's the point. He's probably a murderer himself. She sees that she sees herself as having liberated his wife, like all this sort of stuff. So like, did, did this land to you as, as sort of a repurposing or a, an evolution of the Dolores character? Well, didn't we just end an HBO run with another character who was kind of a Dublankis in Daenerys? <laughs> who, <laughs> who Dolores Daenerys uh, connection there? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, whereas I, I don't know that 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 um, in the end, Game of Thrones really knew how to handle the um, the motivations of a, frankly, a woman kind of hell bent on something. Um, yeah. And I worry that that Westworld will 
kind of follow a similar path in a way. Like I'm already, like I think Evan Rachel would, her performance is good. Um, it is always fun to watch a competent entity do something competently. And in, in, in Dolores's case, that's kind of dispatching her enemies, I guess. Um, you know, I, I, I think there are other characters in this world that are, are just more interesting than Dolores because they have more, like more complicated motivations and some characters we'll see later in the season. Um, I assume, um, so yeah, I don't know. It's tricky, but I will say that this this cold open, at the very least, um, I can appreciate in terms of its like um, the, the its sort of dramaturgy or its or, or or its dramatic sort of structure. In that, like, it really efficiently introduces a lot of new things at once uh, in a way that like doesn't feel t- really expositional. I mean, it introduces like new kind of badass you know Dolores I mean she she was doing this kind of stuff in season two but like this is a different mode it introduces the new corporation it introduces a new tone and it introduces new technology that um like the, these glasses that it seems will come to uh to bear on on things going forward um so yeah I think that I if I don't necessarily love the direction in the change in direction that it signifies I can at least appreciate um it's like the kind of the formal technique of of this opening scene. That's funny because I just I think it 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 is making Dolores more of that character that you want. Like it's pushing Dolores more in the direction of Maeve when she says stuff like I've I've hurt so many people I don't want to hurt anyone else unless they've hurt me. You know, like that's that seems very Maeve to me. Like I just I feel like the the Dolores like kill everyone and everything in my path, be they robot or human, I don't care. And then she was pulled up short by what happens with Teddy at the end of season two. Um, that seems to me to have changed, at least in this first episode. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, and, and I agree with you that, that Maeve in general has been a more compelling character for me. Um, but both of them, Rachel Wood and Tandy Newton are fantastic. So it's not a matter of performance. It's just a matter of characterization. And I feel like they're reaching, this is like a very save the cat moment. I feel like with Dolores where she's like, you know, killing a guy who killed his wife. And so it's just, it's justified sort of stuff. Um, in all of that. But, but as a, as a, as a set piece and as a, as you say, as an information dump, um, it's extremely effective, I think. Um, so that is, that is Dolores. We get this, um, do you have any questions about what happens in, in this opening here? I don't know if you do. Um, I did on first viewing, but second viewing kind of, it's, 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 it's pretty straightforward. There's some stuff kind of, I guess maybe a little later in this episode that I was scratching my head about. But yeah, I think one of the, one of the new things about, you know, Westworld 3.0 is that it, it's a, it's a, it's a lot more easy to kind of parse, I think. Do you, do you find that to be true? Yeah, what's, what's become, what becomes really clear over the course of this episode is that we are all definitely on one timeline. They mention the passage of time several, um, instances in this episode, uh, which puts all of this, uh, eventually around three months after the end of season two. And so that's true of the character played by Tessa Thompson. That's true of the character played by Evan Rachel Wood. And it's cl- true of the character played by Jeffrey Wright. I'm going to refer to those characters as Dolores, Charlotte, and Bernard. Uh, it's a little more comf- complicated with Charlotte, of course. And it's a little more complicated with Bernard. But like for expediency sake, right? Let's just call them Dolores, Charlotte, Bernard. And um, they're all operating on the same timeline in the show. In, in its first two seasons and the second season especially really bent over backwards to make Trixie timeline stuff happen. Um, and this season, it seems, it seems to have abandoned that. And that's part of the promise that the Nolans made, uh, I believe at Comic-Con last year where they were just like, uh, we hear you. <laughs> season two was confusing. <laughs> so we're going to make season three less confusing. And I think, you know, I don't want to speak for you, Richard, but I think from your view, that means it's lost some spark of something that you really responded to. Uh, but from my view, I'm really grateful that I don't have to second guess myself all the time about when, when we're supposed to be, you know what I mean? Yeah. I think, I think, you know, I just appreciated the sort of the daring of, of season two's just, they were just like, yeah, fuck it. We're going to be super opaque and like hard to figure out. And like, but like, I think that in that opacity, in, in opaqueness, like you were, 
like a lot of the kind of philosophical kind of stuff that this show was at least once about, like had a lot of kind of room to, 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 to bloom and to kind of flourish. Um, and, and I think that, that I just, so each episode felt like this really like rich experience. Um, even if I didn't always understand what was going on. Um, but this episode is just like, okay, like I can appreciate the performances that the show looks great. It's compelling, but it's just that it, it just feels a, li- a bit more surface uh, level. It's very action heavy unless, you know, you don't have Anthony Hopkins. I mean, not that he was around for most of season two, but you don't have a lot of Anthony Hopkins just sitting there sort of like expounding on the nature of humanity. Um, and, and I think, th- I think season two missed that from season one. Um, and, and even more so, I would say here. All right. So, um, after the cold open, we have the opening credits, which are, uh, different in a lot of ways. You know, there's some bird stuff. Love some bird stuff. Uh, is there anything, <laughs> is there anything you want to talk about in the opening credits, Richard? Um, no, I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of bad at, 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 um, deciphering those things. What did you, what did you notice? Well, in the, in the first season opening credits, uh, there was like a robot horse. In the second one, it was like these buffalo. Uh, and here we have a bird. And the buffalo at least, uh, wound up being literal, uh, literally part of, uh, the action in season two when Maeve like sets these buffalo loose, um, in, in sort of like the lab area. Uh, so I don't know if we're going to have some stuff with robot birds or not, or if it's just a metaphor, we'll see. Uh, you know, there's also like, uh, you know, Finger, like fingers of, of robots and humans touching in a way that seems to recall the Sistine Chapel, uh, you know, and, and, you know, and then some classic, you know, uh, piano, p- player piano stuff. The ending though is, I think, the most significant, even though there's like a lot of visual changes throughout, uh, this opening credits. The ending is the, the sort of the Vitruvian man sinking into like a pool of liquid that we've seen for the first two seasons, but this time it's red instead of white. So yeah, the red, the red definitely stands out as a sort of right. uh, change in, in, in tone. All right. And then I'm going to ask you like to sort of take the wheel on this part, which is like, this is, so let's talk about the Charlotte stuff, right? So mm-hmm. Charlotte Hale, we should remind our listeners, Charlotte Hale is dead. The character yes. played by Tessa Thompson, who was on the board of Delos, is a dead person. Uh, she has been replaced by a mysterious robot consciousness that is helping Dolores, but we don't know, basically we don't know who's inside that body, right? So it looks yeah. like Charlotte Hale, looks like Tessa Thompson, is not her. She goes to a board meeting. What do you, what do you make of all this, uh, Charlotte stuff here, Richard? Well, yeah, just to refresh people, at the end of season two, when there was the crazy massacre at the park, um, obviously there was a, a, a massive shutdown on the hosts, um, and so in order to get consciousness out of the park, you know, host consciousness out of the park, it, it needed to be uh, someone in the form of Della's employee needed to be the one to take it. Hence creating a, a Charlotte um, host, killing the actual Charlotte and then escaping with um, what is I think five of the pearls, right? That the, basically right. The, the, the souls of these hosts. So now we have obviously Dolores out and about in the world. She made a body for herself. We saw that at the end of um, season two. Um, but we don't know who is inside Charlotte and we don't know what the ultimate goal is. Like, what is the purpose of having a, a plant on the board at Delos? Like, you know, cause we don't really know what Dolores is like big plan is. We know that she needs money and that she wants access to other something else. Um, but obviously Dolores, it seems is going to be or Charlotte rather is going to be a pretty um, central part of that. And I think if you have a big star, like, or a rising star, like Tessa Thompson, like at this point, you really got to make sure she has stuff to do. So I'm eager to see what that stuff is. Yeah. It's interesting because, um, you know, Tessa Thompson was brought on sort of midway through season one. It seemed like when um, they decided to write off the character played by Sidsa Babbitt Knudsen, um, who is this sort of Adela's proxy in the park. Uh, Bernard kills her 
and then uh Teresa, I think her name was. And then <clears throat> and then Charlotte shows up. Like there's a little bit of an overlap, but that happens. Um and then yes, they gave Tessa even Tessa Thompson even more to do because like at this point she's a, like a Marvel star and all this sort of stuff like that. So they gave her even more to do in season two, and here she is in season three. And she's once again given the challenge that she was given in season two of playing something that the audience doesn't know what she's playing. So like to refresh your memory for fully half of season two, when we were looking at Charlotte Hale as played by Tessa Thompson, we were actually looking at Tessa Thompson doing an Evan Rachel Wood impression. And I think what kind of uh, frustrated me about that whole twist in season two is that I was frustrated that I wasn't able to appreciate what Tessa Thompson was doing all along like when you go back and rewatch it, you can see what she was doing. There was, you know, there was like a bit of a flat affect, but there was like more than that going on. But, you know, it's a lot of, a lot of work that she did that she had to hide because we had to not notice because the show was trying to fool us, mm-hmm. you know? So it was this whole like weird, complicated layered thing that m- just left me frustrated that I couldn't fully appreciate her performance. And I feel that once again here in this episode, because like I'm frustrated that I don't know who she's playing and what that character's motivations really are. You know what I mean? Like that's frustrating to me. Um And I, I, get it that the mystery is part of the fun of Westworld. But in this case, I guess I would just like to know what the actor I'm watching is supposed to be playing. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Um, that being said, there's a character in this board meeting named Joanna, and I'm just going to try not to take it personally that they were like, enough of your questions, Joanna. We don't need them. Uh, in that scene, it's probably not about me, but, um, you know, uh, all right. So, uh, you know, one thing that Charlotte does in this meeting is she like mutes someone who disagrees with her in a meeting, like in real time, cause I guess like they're holograms. Uh, and, uh, what don't we wish we all had that ability to do that? Um, and then the thing is that like Charlotte, like William's not on the board, uh, right now. He's in absentia. We don't know what's going on with him, played by Ed Harris. We don't know where William is. Um, he was injured at the end of season two. And then there was that weird coda at the end of season two, where like, we weren't sure if he was like super in the future or having a mental breakdown or was a robot or like what was happening. But um in, in this timeline right now, uh he's missing from the board. And so Charlotte has that he is, he has allowed this like a uh, digital board member to be his proxy and since uh, all the hosts can talk to all the computer stuff, as we learned in this episode, um, I'm guessing that that uh, digital board member is always going to vote in lockstep with Charlotte. So um, she's basically got got like the majority that she needs uh, for this board. And her goal is to keep things moving, um, which I guess serves Dolores's greater purpose in some way. Right. That they're like resuming host production, all that sort of stuff. Well, obviously, you know, Dolores wants to build an army and it would, it's right. kind of like, right. Kind of a perfect irony to have her oppressors build it for her. Exactly. Um, we should mention that the Charlotte stuff is filmed at this like beautiful location. And like, um, uh, I think this, uh, you know, one of the advantages of the first two seasons of Westworld was the, like, beautiful sweeping vistas that they got to film in. Uh, you know, uh, these gorgeous, like, uh, plains and plateaus and cliffs and all sort of stuff like that. So being that we're in the future in the modern world, they've found, I think, equally stunning pieces of architecture to film a lot of the work around uh, this season. What do you think of the look of Westworld 3.0? Yeah, I mean, I, I like, I, I think it's very, um, smartly done and, and, you know, to use extant spaces and make them look like future spaces, you know, um, is smart because it gives us a through line. It's like, yeah, that kind of looks like something we would see now, but then there's this extra kind of element. I think, you know, I think you mentioned Blade Runner. I think when things go a little too far into the future speculation and there's nothing recognizable about the world, um, it just feels it, it feels like 
it's it's fun to watch, but it's more fantasy. Whereas when it's when it's more like realistic sci futuristic sci fi, where there's the the world looks mostly the same. There are still Range Rovers, you know. There are people still right. wear high heels and smoke cigarettes, but like yeah, yeah. But then there's this extra kind of overlay of technology and stuff like that. I think I think it's 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 shrewdly done. Um. So that's uh that's Charlotte. She wants to take the company private. Um, the Delos Corporation is, is in this gorgeous building that's, um, actually, um, a Spanish, uh, I think it's called the Museum of Art and Sciences, uh, in Spain. Uh, gorgeous, gorgeous building, but it's supposed to be in the Bay Area because you can see the Bay Bridge and the San Francisco skyline in the background. So, um, good old Silicon Valley at it again. Um, so that's Delos. And the most important thing I think that Charlotte does in that scene is put the blame for the massacre in the park, uh, directly on Bernard. So we find mm-hmm. out that everything's been pinned on Bernard. He is a man on the run. Um, uh, I mean, he's a robot, but you know, like there, there's everyone still thinks he's a human that he instituted this massacre. Um, and that he's to blame for everything. So we cut to Bernard on the run. And maybe that's why in some ways Dolores decided to keep him around at the end of season two, mm, you know, at right, the time yeah. it was like, well, you know, I, I need a sort of moral counterbalance and whatever, but it's like, and maybe that's sort of true, but also like she needed someone to pin it on to. And there he was. Yeah. It's, um, it's an interesting, uh, yeah, I, I want to believe her that, uh, she, she wants that moral counterbalance, but yes, yeah, she also now conveniently has a Patsy as well. I'm Claire Fallon. And I'm Emma Gray. We're culture writers, podcasters, and hosts of the show. Love to see it. Every week we give an unapologetically feminist dissection of reality dating shows, rom-coms, and other romance narratives. We unpack all the weird messages they send us about love, sex, and dating. And we dive into all the details with special guests like actors, authors, and cultural critics. You can find Love to See It wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes drop every Tuesday. Uh, and so Bernard is in hiding. This is like a really recognizable uh, trope, right? Like the sort of like Dr. Richard Kimball, man on the run. Uh, mm-hmm. He's even got like a man on the run beard uh, going on, all this sort of stuff like that. Uh, did you, did you happen to check, uh, did you happen to see the name that he uses when he like scans into his uh, job at the old, the old meat factory? I did, but now I forget it. Okay. So it's Armand Delgado. I knew it was Delgado. Yeah, that's right. <clears throat> which is uh, uh, my friend Kim Renfro, who was actually on st- the the final episode or the penultimate episode of Still Watching uh, Westworld uh, for season two, because she's the one who figured out the whole like Charlotte Hill twist. She's the only one I know who figured that out. Um, she is a great uh, scholar of Westworld, and she figured out that Armand Delgado is an anagram for uh, Damaged Arnold. So <laughs> there you go. That's pretty funny. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so we know that, you know, uh, Bernard's reading some news. It's like months past, no leads and hunt for park murderer. So like, you know, we, it's been, a, it's been a month. He does this like diagnostic of himself and we find out that like, I think what we're going to get from Bernard in this season is this sort of like split personality, right? There's like robot Bernard and human Bernard sort of, um, is, was that your interpretation as well? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I don't understand exactly how, what, how, how the shift takes place, but yeah, clearly there's a sort of duality happening in, in, inside Jeffrey Wright. <laughs> yes, that he can like run a diagnostic on himself, um, and it's like a weird uh, kind of self-awareness where it's like, yeah, he's, he's able to sort of step almost outside of himself and analyze himself, but also be himself with the same more himself than it's just, you know, it's a kind of a, it's one of those little mind bendy Westworld things that I like, um, and wish there was actually more of. Um, yeah. And, and this idea that like, he's, he's got to be like paranoid about him. It's sort of like a memento thing, right? Which we should remember that Jonathan Nolan, uh, wrote, um, which is this sort of like when you have Guy Pierce's character memento has to like leave notes for himself and second guess like everything because he's got this short term memory issue. Um, and, uh, and so Bernard has to constantly like, <laughs> like, check on himself because he can't trust himself he's like he's sort of like a classic kind of gumshoe character but like he can't trust himself because dolores built him so he doesn't know if dolores is gonna like 
meddle with him in some way, right? He doesn't trust her, which he shouldn't, you know, so. Uh, And then, you know, so like two guys sort of clock him and recognize him and are maybe going to turn him in and he like fights back. So we know that like uh, Bernard, the the robot Bernard when activated has like extreme strength, but we see uh, like Arnold, the Arnold side of him kind of, he's like, well, to me, it reminds me of Venom. It's like Tom Hardy and Venom, right? You've got like the Venom thing and then you've got uh, Eddie Brock, right? The other character that Tom Hardy plays and it's sort of like he, you know, Bernard or Arnold, whatever you want to call him, pleads with himself, like try not to hurt them too badly. Like, I'm going to let you off the chain, my superpower robot right, side. But but please, Hammer, don't hurt him. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right. And that brings us to, uh, you know, the most significant change, I think, of season three of Westworld, which is the addition of Aaron Paul. Uh, who plays Caleb Nickel, um, our human, uh, fiber, uh, fiber cord layer work guy, work guy. That's a, that's a phrase people use. Um, our blue collar, our Joe, our vet. Yeah. Um, he works construction with Chappie. Yes. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and they have a good time laying, laying fiber cable. They are consciousness. Uh, they are alive. They are Chappie. Uh, I I get all Chappie jokes, but do you know, Richard, that I've never seen Chappie? Like, do you feel like I'm not going to understand Westworld uh, 3.0 until I see Chappie? <laughs> um, I think you should be fine, unless D. Antwerd shows up in this at some point. Um, you know, he never, but you know, Chappie never actually says, "I am consciousness, I am alive, I am Chappie." In Chappie, it's just in the trailer. What? Yeah, it's not. So that's outrageous. like the most. That's the most famous part of Chappie. Exactly. Why would they cut the best part of Chappie? The like the <laughs> essence of Chappie. Anyway, <clears throat> believe it or not, we're not here to talk about Chappie. We're here to talk about Caleb Nickel. Um, Our Chappie podcast is behind the paywall. <laughs> the uh, the Caleb stuff is interesting to me because uh, you know they've put him firmly in the Dolores position. There's a lot of references throughout this episode to uh, the pilot of Westworld. Um, and specifically Caleb here, he's on a loop. Uh, we see him waking up in the morning and doing his voiceover and stuff like that. And that's exactly what Dolores did several times in the pilot. We would see her like get up and like, you know, the sun's shining on the bed as she gets up in the morning and all this sort of stuff like that. So they're like, they put Caleb in that position. Um, and he gives us a lot of helpful exposition about this world via his voiceover. Uh, he's a vet, he's in therapy. And then he does these like, uh, criminal uh task rabbit jobs uh to get money there's a point system you got to keep your points up uh you got to earn your money he's got a sick mom sick mom in the hospital but you also uh apparently i think uh in this world you have like a speaking of loops you have like a loop that you're um that you're on it's almost like i would say almost like a cast system and that you can't get out. We see him trying to apply to another job and they're like, yeah, you're just not the right material for it. And my interpretation of that is because there's this uh, program called insight, um, which sort of dictates the choices that you make in your life and um, what job you should have, what you should have for dinner, who you should date, all this sort of stuff. Like it takes the decision making out of it. Um, and basically gives humans a program, an algorithm to follow. Um, so what, I mean, like, uh, thematically, uh, Richard, what does that do for you in terms of like Caleb and the fact that he's a human, but he's as, uh, restricted as, you know, a, a robot might be in some ways? I get it. I mean, I, I, I get it as a sort of way to kind of yoke this season to the past and, and, and introduce a new character. I, I just, it feels a little pat to me, you know, mm-hmm. like see, like third season is kind of late to be introducing an all new sort of character and an all new idea in a way that like feels uh like it fits. I don't know. It just like, I get that, like, I mean, later in this episode, yeah, it seems like, yeah, he, they're obviously drawing parallels between him and Dolores, which I can understand, but like, um, yeah, I guess I was more kind of curious about the little details of um, Caleb's life. Like they they mentioned this thing, I forget what they call it, that they put in your mouth. That's like a pain relief thing. 
Oh, like, it's an Im- implant. An implant, yeah. And it's like, it seems like medicate you somehow. Yeah. Um, which I think is an interesting concept. Um, the, you know, he talks to Lena Waithe about the merit or, or, or in voiceover when he's waiting to meet Lena Waithe about like the meritocracy and all this stuff. And I guess that, that's kind of an interesting dystopian idea. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm feeling a little, a little wary of the character, I guess, because I feel like we've seen this trope in sci-fi things before the kind of like world weary kind of wounded tough guy kind of like you know just trudging along it, it's it's you know it's a bit john anderson slash neo it's a it's it's just i i don't know I, it feels a little well worn to me yeah i guess um the the part that you mentioned where he says they say it's a meritocracy right people for the right job what about those of us who didn't make the cut which is this idea that like you're you're, you are dictated a certain lot in life. Um, but he, you know, Caleb is obviously dissatisfied with his. He feels like he's made for better things. Um, then, uh, you know, a lifelong shift with Chappie. Um, what's interesting to me, and it's something that, um, I actually read on the Reddit boards, uh, before, uh, the season started, it was based on, you know, some close watching of the trailer that they did. Um, that I don't know if you remember this, but in season one, um, the character of Felix, who's played by Leonardo Nam, who's like one of the like two techs who are most associated with, um, Maeve in the beginning of season one, he's like messing with the code because he's curious and he wants to be a programmer. Uh, and his cohort, Sylvester, um, played by Ptolemy Slocum, uh, basically says like, no, bud, you're a butcher. That's all you're going to be. Like, don't mess with that. That's not for you. You're this. And the way he says it actually back in season one early on, like, I think has the ring of this idea that's here in season three, which is like, you're assigned a role, a job, a cast, based on, let's say, your intellect or, or emotional, you know, intelligence or whatever it is. Um, and that's where you have to stay. Uh, you're put on loops. And so I think it's fascinating that it seems like it was a theme that they introduced. Like it's something that was on their mind early on. And like, you know, in his various ramblings, uh, Anthony Hopkins character, uh, Robert Ford has said very similar things about humans being on their loops, like having their programming, stuff like that. So it's, it's something that they've been curious about. And this is just our first opportunity to really be in the real world and like see it. And given that that's the real, like, I've always been curious, like, what is the real world like around Westworld that would inspire people to want to come to Westworld? And it makes all the sense in the world that, like, if you come from a society where, like, you know, let's say you and I, Richard, are told that we um, have to be, you know, pop culture writers and critics uh, and podcasters. <laughs> to like, bear that horrible burden. <laughs> oh, these, like, you know, uh, golden handcuffs or whatever. But, like, um, you know, but what we really want to do is, you know. Work with Chappie. Sing, sing or whatever. Um uh, and we can't. Well, like, let's go to Delos, a uh, Delos park, and there we get to be whatever we want to be. Yeah. We have enormous freedom and wish fantasy fulfillment. And like, not that we don't, we humans currently in the world don't seek wish fulfillment, fantasy fulfillment, um, in our current existence, but the whole, at least in America, the whole idea is supposed to be, uh, sorry, that sounded so jingoistic to say, at least in America, but like the whole idea of the American dream is tied up in like, you can be whoever you want to be. Uh, is that actually true given our society? No, but like that's, that's supposed to be the idea that work hard enough or apply yourself or whatever. And, and you too can be, um, a rich asshole like Logan Delos or something like that. Yeah. You know? And, and I got, I've gotten the impression over the seasons that, that a Westworld experience is like very expensive. Um, right. and, and That's so it, it is this like wealthy playground. And so I think that the, this, this episode does, um, gesture toward a, a certain, um, kind of in, you know, wealth inequality that we see manifested around the world, uh, right now in our, in our timeline. <laughs> but I think it seems to have accelerated considerably. And then, the elites have um, formed a even more rigid system to kind of justify it, 
where it's like, oh, no, no, you're not fabulously wealthy because you're, this is your track. So whatever, you know, just don't worry about it, you know? Um, and so I think that is, you know, kind of an interesting bit of kind of economic speculative fiction. Um, you know, we've seen it before with kind of like more, you know, Eloy and Morlocks. And I mean, these, this kind of trope has existed for a long time, haves mm-hmm. and have nots. Um, I, I guess in terms of the sort of like comparison to like human routine and being on a loop, I guess the funny thing about the introduction of Caleb this way is that like, well, right, that was the, the pilot episode of this show did and, and sort of it, it made the metaphor that like these robots are really just like us. So I guess I just don't really need the metaphor then turned back around and just to see the real thing. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. like I like, I liked the show as allegory. I don't need to see the actual thing the show is an allegory for. Right. Yeah, it's it's interesting to me, and I I had forgotten that point that the Delos the trip to the parks is hideously expensive, and so like I think they do talk about how some people like save up their whole lives or whatever to go mm-hmm. there. Yeah, of course. But it's yeah. not exactly an, a manner of escapism that's available to someone like Caleb. Like it's like going to Jurassic there. Park. It's like yeah. you know, it's like <laughs> you can go like the really expensive thing that you save your whole you know year of life for, or you can just you know be a rich person and go you know whatever. But like. It's, it's a, it's a poisoned experience either way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, we've got, so we've got this little, like, little, like, crime app. Um, and I don't know if you spent any time freeze framing the crime app, but I did a lot and it is mm-hmm. extremely fun. Um, I just want to like, uh, all, all my love and joy to the person who had so much fun writing that. It's in the style, I imagine I don't play these games, but it's in the style I'm told of like Grand Theft Auto and stuff like that, where it's just like, yeah, fuck yeah, buddy, go, go, oh yeah, get your, get your money, get your booze, like fuck some girls, blah, blah. So like, um, which is very, very Westworld, but, um, you know, that's, that's how, uh, Caleb makes his money. Uh, we meet a couple people played, as you said, by Lena Waith and Marshawn Lynch, um, who are sort of, uh, people who he does jobs with sometimes uh and it's um it's interesting that they're still using the term basic in uh whatever year (laughs) this is when we kind of don't really use that i used it in my review of the show actually but i kind of was like oh to use a dated word and then it was just i i think i had forgotten that it was in the episode and then i saw it again and yeah so i don't know yeah (laughs) a a chilling (laughs) vision of the future where we are still calling things basic would we like, do you think we're still going to make like pumpkin spice latte jokes or something like that? <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> um, yeah. So, so there's this, the crime app, um, and that allows for some action. Um, I imagine that will come back into play later. Yeah. Cause we, it's um, unclear who's like running it. Right. That's true. That's true. Um, but yeah, there's a whole bunch of like, Weird fun stuff on the screen. If you want to pause it, it's, it's, it's pretty fun. Um, and also like, uh, you know, in terms of like making people as sympathetic as possible for the audience, like, as I mentioned, Dolores is only killing men who murdered their wives thus far and stuff like that. Uh, what do we make of the fact that Caleb has a, has a mother in the hospital who needs, who needs money? Like that, that to me, like I'm overall more positive on this episode than you are. That's the most cliche thing to me because it's like it, he doesn't do crime because he just wants money. He's got a mother to support who's in the hospital. Yeah, so, I, 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 I feel like we as audiences, you know, in an age of anti-hero peak TV have evolved to the point where we don't always need that sort of justification for a yeah. character's misdeeds, you know, like, you know what I mean? And like, I think that's a little pat. It also suggests that in that, in, in their version of the future, Bernie Sanders didn't win the presidency and give everyone <laughs> health care, which is a little disappointing. Um, but, uh, I mean, yeah. I, I, I don't know where they got that idea because that's <laughs> definitely not how this year is going. Um, anyway, uh, she says something interesting to him. She goes, you're not my son. Which in the world of Westworld, where we always like want to question who's a human and who's a robot and stuff like that, uh, and this episode has uh, one of those reveals in this episode, um, uh, we should just keep our eye on that, right? Like, you know, Caleb mentions being shot in the head and his mother says, you're not my son. So is that something? Is that not? I don't know, but something to keep an eye on, right? Mm-hmm. Um. But the, the big, like, uh, I, I don't know if you remember this. I was rewatching the pilot of Westworld and, uh, I remember like what a crazy twist it felt like at the time 
that uh, James Marsden's character, Teddy, was a robot. Because, like, at first you think he's a guest in the park. And uh, it's only, you know, he dies, I think, like, 20 minutes in. And, and Teddy, of course, will die so many more times after that. But he dies, like, maybe 15 minutes in. It's pretty quick. But I remember, like, all the ad stuff made it seem like he was, you know, this human visitor to the park. Uh, and so that was the first, like, Westworld, you tricksy assholes. Um and so in, in this episode, uh, we get the reveal that Caleb's, uh, war buddy, uh, Francis, who he's talking to is actually, uh, AI. Now, I did not think this was a very tricksy reveal. Um, uh-huh. it, I think it was pretty obvious from the start that that's what was happening, but they, I feel like they kind of treated it like a big reveal. Uh, what did you think of all of that? <laughs> Yeah, and again, I feel like that we're, we're, we're kind of wandering into cliche territory here. Um, not to at all minimize the experience of people who have been in the army or been overseas and in, in conflicts and, and all that and, and are haunted by that trauma. I don't think that that's a story we are by any means done telling. But the way that it's done here, I mean, it, it might as well be like a cop, a, a cop who's like, partner was killed two years ago and now he's trying to like you know it just feels very like saddling him with this kind of cliched backstory um feels a little beneath westworld at least as i had come to appreciate it over the past two seasons it what it does give us is caleb's um he's got some like robot xenophobia going on a little bit um it's not like you know, he's, he's got his chappy friend and he's fine with that. I think it's, he gets very prickly though around, um, robots who are trying to impersonate humans. Uh, we see it on the phone with this guy, uh, or I should say this AI that he's talking to about the job opportunity that he wanted. Um, and we see it here with the, with the Francis thing, which, which was meant to like supplement his, uh, you know, post-war therapy regimen, uh, and it was just not working for him. The, um, and so, like, what will that mean? You know, and he says, I just want something real, basically, right? Like, that's what he tells Francis. I just want something real, which is something that uh, Jimmy Simpson's character, William, uh, said in season one. I just want something real. Uh, and, you know, Caleb's about to meet Dolores, which, and maybe, and, you know, seemingly make the same mistake that William did <laughs> in season one, which is think that she's real when she's not, you know? Mm-hmm. Um whatever real is or, or challenge his own definition of what reality is question the nature of his reality. All right, let's just zip through the last uh, section, which is all Dolores all the time. Uh, which, you know, we see, we see Dolores basically she's, she's, uh, done the old Dolores honeypot on, um, Liam Dempsey, who is the son of the founder, the co-founder of insight played by John Gallagher jr. Uh, he's got his, uh, shitty asshole rich friends, uh, might as well be Logan. Um, and, uh, she, she's basically insinuated herself into his life, impersonating this person, Laura, and she's trying to get information on Insight because Insight is this program, this like, uh, they run this program, this algorithm, I think, or, or something, this AI that controls how all these humans behave. Uh, the, the program's called, uh, Rohabom, which is, uh, an Old Testament, Testament biblical, uh, word. That's uh, the son of Solomon in the Bible. Uh, and, you know, basically Dolores finds out that this guy that she's been like trying to seduce is not, uh, or successfully seducing does not have the actual control over this program. So she's like, all oh, my sexual wiles <laughs> for not, um, and so we find out that there's a real, a, someone else who's the real, like, person who controls it, um, which is a character called, uh, Serac, which, uh, you know, it does not take a leap of deduction to think that this is going to be the character played by Vincent Cassell, who shows up in the trailers, et cetera. So there's this really scary person named Serac. And the reason why he's scary is because he has control of the system, which means he can see what everyone's doing all the time. And there are intimations like, don't bother looking for him. He's already looking for you sort of stuff. So this is like our, our villainous foil to Dolores is this character that we don't even see in the first episode. Um, is he an heir to the vodka fortune? <laughs> Serac, I think it's spelled differently, unfortunately. Okay, Alas. Uh, but yeah, so, so, uh, you know, 
there's this is the most action heavy uh, other than like Caleb's many many crimes is the most action heavy uh sequence because we get this big sort of like um dramatic confrontation between Dolores and and this character Connells played by Tommy Flanagan who is uh Liam's sort of like right hand man and we find out what Dolores is uh, one of Dolores's plans uh is what is Dolores's plan Richard well she wants she she body snatches him yeah. Love um, it. which is, there's a kind of chilling little moment where one of these like auto taxis that don't seem to have drivers pulls yeah. up while they're trying to kill, um, Dolores and you just see the faint kind of image of, an, of another Tommy Flanagan sitting in the taxi and he's like, what the hell is going on? Um, so she likes to kind of play with her, her food before she <laughs> yeah. makes her kill, I think. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's part. So basically she's infiltrating these big companies. Um, that are the sort of architects of, um, artificial intelligence in the, in the future and that, um, seem to use them for pretty sinister, that this technology, be it Delos or, you know, elsewhere, for pretty sinister means, um, that, uh, Dolores seems hellbent on seizing, um, to what end, we don't know. As, you know, as of the, the, la- the season two finale, there is some concern that Dolores wants to kill all of humanity and she suggests that to, um, Tommy Flanagan's character right before she has him killed that like, she's like the, the, the old, the gods, the new, the gods are here and they're angry or whatever. Yeah. Um, so it's just remains to be seen how, uh, totalizing her, her vision of revenge and reprisal, uh, actually is. Yeah. It's interesting to me. Um, I don't think I, I still don't think I know what she wants and my guess Nope, I don't know. Uh, but she does want control over these things. Cause she, cause just as she did in season two, Dolores feels like she knows what's right and what's best for humanity and for robot kind and stuff like this. But this idea that like the robots are, are, are the gods. They're the gods and they're the superior race and they're here to, I think in season two, I was worried about like subjugate. And I don't know that that subjugation is necessarily her goal in season three. Um, but we'll find out what it might be. But she does want control of this eerily predictive, uh, algorithm, uh, AI thing. Which, uh, uh brings to mind if people have watched it, um, or are curious about more of that kind of idea, um, the, the FX miniseries devs, uh, yeah. that premiered on Hulu, uh, it's FX on Hulu a couple weeks ago, um, mm-hmm. that I reviewed. Um, and I was able to watch all of that before I reviewed it. And it's about a similar thing. So I was having a weird kind of deja vu, uh, watching this, but I guess maybe this is where kind of, um, speculation about computer technology is kind of looking at right now. And I just didn't know that until these kind of fictionalized versions, um, showed up. Well, do you ever have a moment when you get, I mean, we all do, we all get creeped out by technology sometimes, like whether it's like, uh, an ad served to you, uh, on your device that's based on something you swear you've never typed, but only said, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um, there's that. Or for me, it's when you get in your car, sometimes when you get in your car, your map app will be like, ah, it's Tuesday at three o'clock, Joanna. Are you going to therapy? <laughs> I'm like, oh, no. uh, I mean, I am, but I don't like that you know that. You know and it I mean? meant, like, it meant the gay bar in Hell's Kitchen in New York, right? <laughs> therapy. Correct. Yeah. Okay. But like, that's, that's the thing is like, uh, you know, your map app knows your routine, uh, even if you haven't intentionally programmed it. And it's like, I'm, I don't mean to give it, uh, emotion because that's, that's the losing battle, right? But like, it, it, it's trying, quote unquote, to be helpful, to be like, ah, oh, you're probably going here, right? Should we go? And I'm like, I don't, I, that, that's too much. And I need you to do less. Do less, please. Yeah. Well, it's like, uh, you know, how yeah. they, they, um, Alexa, the Amazon thing is like always on and listening unless you yeah. like expressly turn it off somehow or something. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, there's a, a great episode, I think, of, um, is either Radio Lab or Reply All um, about that kind of phenomenon of I swear I was just having a conversation out loud with someone about you know needing new swim trunks and then I opened Instagram and there was an ad for swim trunks you know um, and they pretty much think it's just like a weird sort of Bader Meinhof kind of psychological mm. delusion thing where it's not it's not actually happening but like I don't know man it happens so often that I. I, I don't know. I'm sure my phone is being, is, I, you know, my, my boyfriend and I the other day were talking about 
you know, the possibility of a certain president of a certain country getting a certain virus. And I like paranoidly, I like leaned into his phone and I was like, NSA, we're just kidding. We're just kidding. <laughs> Cause I'm convinced people are listening. Absolutely. No, I, I was watching this video of a bunch of kids in like some sort of marketing class doing an experiment where they, uh, had a conversation and mentioned like a few brands in their conversation and then sat on their devices and sort of tried to surf around and refresh until they got an ad that served the thing that they were talking about. Um, and it was kind of fascinating because it did happen, but did it happen just because, you know, hit refresh enough times and you will eventually land on an ad for the thing you were talking about? Maybe, you know, it's, it's a little unclear, but I, you know, I would not doubt it. I would not doubt it for a second, but yeah, as you say, like, I, I think that point you made about, um, this being, um, you know, near future sci-fi that's not too far removed, uh, from where we are. I mean, it's pretty far removed, but like the self-driving car stuff doesn't feel, you know, th- that exists. It's not widely, widely used, but self-driving cars exist. Like there's stuff here that I could see going into effect in, you know, a couple of years. It doesn't feel like insane that this technology would exist and it doesn't feel insane that this would be the extrapolation of like uh data mining and uh you know like basically what we're doing uh in putting all of our stuff online all of our social media all of like our our phones tracking us constantly listening to us all the stuff like that is we're giving the them whoever they are i don't mean to sound paranoid um you know be it apple or facebook or whoever a, a map of ourselves right they know our routines, they know our tastes, they know all this stuff. And the idea is that they, like, that, uh, in the most benign version of that, that's just so that they can sell us more product, right? right? In the less benign version of that, you know, maybe we wind up in a place where, uh, you know, someone decides to create some sort of AI or algorithm based on our, like, on the map that we've given them, we've handed to them. Uh, and it dictates what we get to do in our lives. Yeah. Um, so that's I mean, sort of the question Westworld seems to be asking this season. For me, the most harrowing example of that in my personal life is whatever I'm trying to look someone up on Instagram and it just get, takes me to the suggested page. And it's like, I look at more things on Instagram than like shirtless gay guys Instagram. Like, come on. But like, they've just like mimicked my pad or like, like figured out, you know, I guess like who's like, you know, who I was looking up or whatever. And it's like really horrifying to see your sort of, you know, sort of inner tendencies kind of just made manifest, you know? Yeah. Um, and yeah. So I, I think if this season explores more of that in a kind of deeper, darker way, I'll be, I'll be like more into it. I just, I do still worry a little bit about them just trying to, to dumb things down a little bit, just in the hopes of, of getting a, a bigger um, audience base where, whereas, you know, I would have been happy if they just kind of doubled down on the weird from season two and had a great weird season three and then ended kind of like um, leftovers did a couple years ago. Yeah. I like, I really want this to be the last season, not because I don't, I, you know, I think I like it better than you do, but I, I think that, you know, I think from the start, they said they had a five season arc planned. And when I was talking to HBO about this season, they were telling me that this was this season three that exists right now was the plan all along. Uh, you know, I, I, I can't, you know, I, why would they lie to me about that? I don't know. There's no reason to. Um, but it seems to me like if I were, designing the arc of the show and I had five seasons in mind, I would stay in the park for a little while longer. You know, maybe the last two seasons are in the real world sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and so for me, it seems like, you know, once again, I have no evidence of this, but Westworld is a hugely expensive show. Uh, is it a popular show? It's pretty popular, but not as popular as its price tag. You know what I mean? And so mm-hmm. like my theory last season, when they started to kill a lot of the extraneous cast members that they had, which they did at the end of season two, uh, was that they were sort of tightening the belts a little, that they were winnowing down their cast, that they were shooting in a more budget friendly place, which is like, even though they're going to Spain and stuff like that, it's still more budget friendly than like hauling camera equipment into the middle of like a, a desert somewhere or whatever. Um, you know, so just sort of scaling back a bit. And maybe it'll depend on ratings whether or not this is the last season of Westworld. But I kind of, I would like it to be because I really like it when a show 
run by very smart people, which the, you know, the Nolans absolutely are, knows it's ending and like aims towards that target. You can get some like really strong stuff out of that. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I'd love to see that. Um, all right. So I think that, um, I think we like broadly covered everything except for we get, uh, this hint. Well, you know, Caleb meets Dolores. He kind of rescues her. I don't know. It's a question mark. Uh, what, how much rescuing he's doing there. Um, we know where two of the pearls are. They're inside, uh, Connell's and this Charlotte body. Um, but we don't know where the rest are necessarily. And, uh, we don't know exactly what Dolores has planned, but we know Vincent Cassell is waiting in the wings to possibly mess it up. Uh, so let's go with Maeve. So there's a post credit stinger. Uh, I, I think we saw a lot of this footage already in trailers. Uh, it's just like Maeve waking up in, uh, this war world place. This like World War II Nazis are here and, um, we don't see much of that. We just see like that she's there, that Tandy Newton looks amazing, uh, as always, and that she seems a little confused as to why she's there. And we don't see any other characters who are familiar to us yet. Uh, so it's just her in War World. Uh, do you have any thoughts on like the design of War World, Richard? Um, yeah, I mean, it looks good. I, again, I think you're saying, you know, maybe, uh, this show could have spent another season in the park. Like there's another thing to explore. Like, I think there were so many possibilities that about the park that they kind of gave up to have this big bloodbath at the end of season, you know, or during season two. And I guess it's kind of technically at the end of season one, um, you know, they kind of just were like, all right, we're now we're done with the park. And they're and you know, and I, I kind of re- missed that. And, and, and I think that this little glimpse of war world or whatever, like, um, made me realize just how many kind of other possibilities there were to explore, uh, in that kind of format. Yeah. They, on the, uh, there's like a fake Delos website, right? And over the years as they've like slowly revealed, um, the various parks, you know what I mean? Like you start with Westworld and then they had, uh, like, uh, I think they called it Shogun World. I want to say that's true. Um, and Raj World. That, Raj world, right? Uh, they sort of started to fill in the various, uh, they basically on their website, they had like grayed out what the like parks that they hadn't revealed yet were. Uh, and so they started to like fill them in. So yeah, so you have Westworld, there's six parks, right? So you've got Westworld, you've got Shogun world, you've got, uh, something that's scrambled right now, but it's kind of clear that it's war world because you can kind of see these biplanes uh in the sky uh then you've got park four closed to the public park five closed to the public and park six the raj so uh there's two mystery parks still and that's you know i think those of us who were like so far into this whole thing you go to delosdestinations.com you can see these uh these things that they've created but those of us who are so far into the sh- the westworld thing we're like well if there's still two more mystery parks surely there's still a lot more to do in the park and maybe there is but um you know uh, it seems like they're really focused on this uh real world outside world stuff uh right now so uh richard what um in an exercise of optimism <laughs> what are you most excited about uh in in the rest of the season of westworld I mean, Maeve, as ever, Maeve. Um, mm-hmm. because again, I like, I like how she, her motivations are a bit more complicated, especially now that her, um, you know, daughter is gone through into the great beyond the technical, you know, the techno paradise or whatever. Um, I don't know. I'm just been curious to see what she has to do in this season. Um, and I'm hoping to that, uh, you know, at some point, John Gallagher Jr. will break out into a song, maybe some little spring awakening, little American idiot, whatever he wants to do. Yeah. I would vote for American idiot myself. Um, that's only because I'm, uh, I saw John Gallagher Jr. in American Idiot in Berkeley, California many, many years ago. Um, yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting that John Gallagher Jr. is here because he was not announced in the cast and he was like barely in one trailer, just barely. And that either means that he's barely in the show or like they're holding him back for some reason and I don't know why they would. 
Like, John Gallagher Jr. feels like a, a big enough of a person that you would, like, announce him in your cast, right? Like... He was on the newsroom. <laughs> he was he's, he's on the newsroom. He's in um, Pieces of April. He's a, he's a, he's an American treasure, John Gallagher Jr. Uh, anyway, maybe it's just me. Um, so like that, that got my conspiracy mind going, but who knows? Who knows what John Gallagher Jr. is here for? Uh, I am, what am I most excited for? Um, I'm most excited for Vincent Cassell because I'm just like a huge, I think, I think these are similar answers to the ones we gave last week when we're like, who are we going to have like big crushes on? And I'm like, Vincent Cassell. Yes. Uh, And you're like Tandy Newton. Yes. Uh, but yeah, I just, I'm a big, I'm a big, uh, Vince head. So we'll, we'll see how that all works out. Maybe he'll dance like he does in Ocean's 12. Yes. The like parkour dance that he does. Um, Richard until. Uh, next time, where can folks find you? Well, they can find me out committing crimes because I am not, nor have I ever been basic. Uh, <laughs> and I, you, and that is evidenced by my tweets at Rylaws and what I write at VF.com. Uh, Joanna, where will you be until ep- Westworld season three, episode two? Oh, self quarantine, of course. Uh, binge oh, watching Westworld. I'll <laughs> <laughs> well, be well. at home. Uh, <laughs> Uh, it's funny because like you can, if you watch this like trailer that Westworld put out about like these big cataclysmic events, uh, that sort of pushed society towards relinquishing control to this, uh, Insight Corporation. I mean, I would put coronavirus maybe on that map just because of like how we're all reacting, not necessarily the actual severity of the illness, but like it feels, uh, you know, like the kind of time in our history where we cede control to other things because we don't know what to do. Was that too depressing? Cool. Uh, so you can find <laughs> me thinking about that <laughs> until we, we come back, uh, next week and we will see you, um, uh, outside the park doing crimes next week on Westworld. These violent delights and violent ends.